Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse, verses 1 through 20, if you want to follow along with me. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. This is God's word. Good morning. Um, sorry for the buzz this morning. I don't know what that's all about. Well, just something we'll have to fight the whole time to focus. That's all. So, uh, get ready. Just imagine it's like nature sounds, you know, just like the rushing wind. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. But, um, it's good to be with you guys. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm Tyler. I'm the campus pastor here. Anybody enjoying this change as we get closer to summer? Like, we can actually do stuff. It's, like, sunny for 16 hours a day. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, But we've been in a series over the last five weeks called Chasing the Wind, and we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, or presumed to be written by King Solomon. He's basically the the main character of the book. And what you see is King Solomon has all the resources in the world, all the resources that earth has to offer. And so he looks in all these different areas to see what has meaning, and he finds that no, no place on earth has meaning. 
You know, Ecclesiastes offers maybe the most unique perspective on life out of any book of the Bible. It's not, it doesn't just say, this is the way, follow this. It, 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 it considers all the different paths we could take, all the different routes we could go down. Um, or as Solomon says, under the sun. You know, he, he, chases, uh, he chases work, he chases alcohol, he chases sex, he chases importance, he chases uh, accomplishment, he chases all these different things. Some of them, you know, like, like they're, they're things that we all, you know, value, and still at the end of the day, it's just this passing thing. It's just a smoke, or as his, the term in Hebrew is hevel, it just means like a breath, a vapor, smoke, something you can't grab onto. And so as we read Ecclesiastes, the invitation to you is to evaluate what are you chasing? Like over the next uh, few weeks as we continue in this series, like it's, it's time where you evaluate what are you ch actually chasing with your time? What are you giving your attention to? And more importantly, where is your heart? Like what has the most weight in your heart? And so today, as we come to chapter 5, we're going to talk about the idea of the weight of God. Like, how much does God weigh on you? When I was a freshman in college, um, there was this big gathering of college students that was happening in Texas uh, called One Day 2003. And um, students from all over the country were, were traveling uh, to go to this one field. It was like Christian Woodstock, basically. We're going to this one field, and, and the point of it was, hey, we're going to call a generation to pursue the holiness of God. Uh, we're going to call a generation to be about the glory of God. And so it was like this big anticipation thing. And when it happened in 2003, I was a freshman in college, and it was at the time in my life where God really got a hold of my heart. I'd kind of strayed from him in high school. And then when I got to college, uh, I just re, uh, just God got a hold of me, and um, I... And so it was just this time in my life where I was really pursuing God. I was really seeking God. I was really hungry for God. And so a group of my friends and I borrowed a 15-passenger van. We put a trailer on the back of that, and we fit 15 people in that van. And we drove nonstop for 72 hours from Portland to north of Dallas, Texas. It was not a pleasant experience. Um, by any stretch. And uh, we had a point in Idaho where the van, we blew a tire, front tire. Uh, this cop like, helped us out. The only time I've ever ridden in the back of a police car, I promise. Um, it's the only time I've ever been in the back of a police car. Um, but, you know, we had this, there was all this anticipation, like, we're going to, you know, and you're college students, so you're like, yeah, we're just, you know, you have this adrenaline all the time, right? Um, but it was this idea, I'm, you know, we're anticipating meeting God in this field in Texas, you know, where there's all this anticipation uh, going into the event and all this work and all this driving and no sleep. And we pulled out on the field, it's dusk when we got there. And as we come out to this field, we're in this sea of 40,000 other, other college students. And um, Chris Tomlin, the worship leader, is on the stage. It's the first time you ever played the song, Holy is the Lord. I don't know if you've heard that song. It's the first time we ever heard it, but, you know, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And it was such a beautiful moment. And, and there was no, no me, no individual in that moment. It was just, God, you are so big. God, we feel your weight. You're working on each of these 40,000 people right here. 
And it's not about any of us, and our problems seem small with the weight of God's glory in that moment. Like there was just something amazing about that, and just sitting in, in the presence of God. And there, you couldn't help but lift your hands and worship. I don't know, have you ever had an experience like that, where you just felt the presence of God so powerfully? You know, I stood in awe that night. You know, and, and you know, God, God was huge in, in that night, you know. Um, but let's take that to our daily life. You know, we all live our daily life. We all have things that we have to do. Do any of you long to experience the presence of God powerfully in your daily life? But you're like, why is it so crazy? Why is my daily life so crazy? Why don't, why, if I'm a Christian, why can't I experience the presence of God in a powerful way on a day-to-day basis? And I would say it's easy to be a Christian today and never get to experience a profound sense of God's presence in your life. You know, we have so many things that are urgent in our life. We have so many things that draw our attention. We have kids and work and, and just life, right? We have, uh, we have so much stuff to do, and it seems like once you got one thing figured out, another thing happens. Um, like a couple weeks ago, our dryer broke, and um, we have five, or we have three kids, family of five, and so our washing machine and dryer are always on. They are always on, they are always running. And, like, so to lose the dryer for a week was like a nuclear meltdown. It was like there were clothes hanging from every door, uh, everywhere, like every chair outside, inside. It was like, you know, Chernobyl at my house. (laughs) And, um, you know, it was just, it was crazy. And, and, you know, on top of everything else you have going in life, like, oh, you know, like, we're so maxed out. I don't know if you feel this. You're so maxed out. You're like, I can just, I can't handle this right now, right? I just, I can't add another thing to life. There's a book, a pretty popular little book, came out in the 60s called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Has anybody ever heard of that? The Tyranny of the Urgent. And the idea is this Christian guy, Charles Hemley's, talking about how, like, most of our life is controlled by the tyranny of the urgent. What has to be done right now? And this guy had a conversation with a factory manager who said this, and, and the whole premise of the book is based off this. He said, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. That your greatest danger is letting the, the urgent things, the things you feel like you have to get done, crowd out the important things. Like sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, the tyranny of the urgent can keep us spinning so fast um, with all this stuff that we miss out on experiencing the presence of God. And so as we step back, as we dive into Ecclesiastes, the question I want to ask today and for us to consider and evaluate in our own lives is what does hold the most weight for me right now in my life? What holds the most weight in my life? And as you can see in Ecclesiastes, Solomon considers a lot of different things. You know, is money, is money what holds the most weight? Is money your ticket to a better life? Is it family? Is it your significant other? Is it sports? Is it your own comfort? Like, wh- there are things, what, what holds the most weight? What do you have to do? You know, what, what is pressing on your heart? 
Or is it God? Is God what is pressing on your heart? In, in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, Solomon just chooses money to focus on. You know, he gives a kind of a distinction between um, uh, chasing God and chasing money or putting weight on God and putting weight on money. So that's, um, that's kind of what he um, reduces it to in this. But obviously there are a lot of mo- other things than just money that, w- that can hold weight in our hearts. But you often see God and money contrasted in scripture, don't you? Like God's often contrasted with the pursuit of money. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then his application for that is you cannot serve God and money. So there's, it's, it's obviously important. Like, you know, there, there's obviously a pull. One w- part of us says God has the answer for my life if I just spend more time with him. And then money is over here saying, I have the answers. I can help you. You know, and so we either choose to serve God or serve money. You know, who do we trust more to fix our situation? And what Jesus is saying is that chasing both primarily, it's, it's incompatible. Like, you can't serve both. And so as we consider what weighs on us the most, what does God or money, does it have more, which one has more urgency for you? Which one has more urgency for you to pursue? You know, it's interesting that Jesus goes on to say after he quotes that, he says, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. You know, don't be anxious about your food or your clothing because God is going to look after you. So it really, choosing to serve is a trust issue. You know, do I trust more in God to provide everything I need or am I trusting money to provide everything I need? Do I need to go out and chase it for myself? At the core of that is a trust issue. Who do you trust more? And obviously our, our world and our culture would pull us towards you've got to make it yourself. You've got to pursue wealth for yourself. You can't really trust God. That might be good for, you know, feeling good sometimes, but, but the real weight is over here. And so we can fall into that trap, whether we, um, wh- wh- whether we think that way or not. We can practically live life like we're chasing something else. We're chasing money. So I want to look at what, um, what Solomon, uh, how Solomon poses uh, weight in this situation. First, he talks about the weight of God how we're supposed to approach God. And what I find this is, is the way we're supposed to approach God is a very weighty view of God. Um, this is kind of Solomon's wisdom to, to worship or wisdom to approaching God. And the first thing he says in this passage is to guard your steps as you enter the house of God. Does that mean like watch your back? Like, whoa, what's going on? Guard your steps as you enter the house of God. What does it mean? to guard your steps as you enter the house of God. It really means when you, when you um, n- not just at church, but in daily life, when you go before God, go before God like you're going to meet God in the present. Like God is actually there. Like God is actually listening. If we believe that the God of the universe wanted to be in relationship with us, we might take our conversations with him a little more seriously. You know, guard your steps as you go into the house of God. The Hebrew word there means to be careful or mindful. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. That he, 
that he's not simply a friend, but he's also the Lord of the universe. You know, he's, he's the God. He's the one who, who we say, your will be done. He's the Lord of our lives. And so as they talk about the house of God, you know, Solomon is thinking of, of the temple. You know, the temple is where they go. The literal house, or the literal presence of God dwelt in the temple. But in the New Testament, where does the presence of God live? We are the temple. Like, we can access the presence of God at any time. When we, when we take our time and, uh, and just sit with him. And so what this encourages us to do is it, 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 it encourages us to consider who we are and to consider who God is, to come to him in humility. Like if you were, you know, like if Queen Elizabeth was here this morning, you know, would that be weird, right? If Queen Elizabeth was here, um, you know, we might, we might act a little bit differently, right? There might be like a red royal, I don't know, whatever, runner, whatever that thing is, coming down. Um, you know, we might act differently if Queen Elizabeth was, maybe you wouldn't, maybe like, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Uh, maybe, I don't know. But, um, but there's something about the presence of God, that, that when we enter and we expect to see God. Um, you can think about when Moses saw the burning bush, and the burning bush represent represented the presence of God. It was the presence of God. When, when, when Moses approached God, what did he tell him to do? He said, take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing on is holy. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing on is holy ground. Taking off sandals at that point was this, was this idea that, that um, you know, I have nothing to offer you. I'm only here to receive. Like, I, I'm a sinner, and I have nothing to offer God. I can only receive. I can only receive his grace on my life. I, I, I you know, it's just kind of symbol of humility. And, and so for Moses, like, when he goes before God and takes off his sandals, the idea of it being holy is the idea, also the idea that I am not holy, that, that I come, in, I have things that I need to confess um, to God. In and in God's grace, he makes us holy. But how many of us, when we, came to, we, when we come to church on a regular basis, we're like, I'm actually going to meet God this morning. Does anybody have that thought? Like, I'm actually excited to go to church to meet God this morning. I get to come before a holy, perfect God. You know, usually for, for most of us, it's like, man, I just got to get the kids there on time. And like, that's, that's enough, you know. But that idea of, you know, um, I'm coming before a holy God this morning. I'm expecting to experience God's presence. And the prophet Isaiah, when he saw God in heaven, he didn't have a casual response to that. When he had a vision of God, his, his response was like, hey, God, what's up? He said, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Like there's something when we come before the presence of God, we realize I have nothing to offer. I am ruined. Have you ever been ruined before God? Like your heart is broken before God. That's the kind of weight that Solomon is getting at. This, this weighty view of God. And so I want to look at this in, in Solomon's wisdom. Like what does a weighty view of God look like practically? When we approach God, what does, what does it mean to have a weighty view of God? And there's really three points I want to talk about today. 
When God is weighty, we do three things. We listen intently. We listen to God. Uh, Second thing is we take our words seriously. And the third is that we live in awe of God. If God is weighty, then we listen to him. You know, Solomon says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, and therefore let your words be few. Does that mean that God doesn't want to hear from you? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, But what he's saying is that we need to be intentional when we come before God. Like, God isn't a fast food, like, thing. You know, we like the efficiency of fast food. I'm hungry. I need something quick and cheap. And, you know, it's God is not that. He's saying when you come to God, like, take it slow. You know, take your time. Solomon warns us not to offer the sacrifice of fools. And the, the image there is of the sacrifice of fools is like Cain, if you remember Cain and Abel. In the Bible, Cain offered, like, his leftover vegetables, and Abel offered, like, his finest meats that they had. And, and um, you know, the, the gift of Cain, the sacrifice of Cain was like, well, I got all this stuff lying around. I'm just going to bring that to God. And God didn't accept that offering because it, it wasn't intentional. There wasn't any heart behind that offering. So Solomon is saying it's, it's better to draw near to listen, to just see what God wants from you than to offer the sacrifice of fools and to just like, you know, say, um, just speak quickly without really any, any thought behind it. There's this guy, um, guy Dallas Willard, who wrote a lot about like spiritual uh, formation and practices, and just this uh, really solid guy. And he talked about two um, practices that have kind of been lost in our culture. Like our, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to us um, because we live in such a fast-paced world. And um, the two practices he talked about were solitude and silence that we actually don't take that much time to listen to God, to be alone with God, because life is coming at us. We have so many messages every day, you know. We have so many screens that we look at that vie for our attention, that we lose the idea of being alone with God or sitting in silence with God. Like, who has time for that, right? Who has time to just be quiet before God? Um, You know, and I don't know about you, but sometimes, like, if I'm lost in that tyranny of the urgent, prayer just becomes another thing, right? Another work. Like, okay, I got to remember everybody, who asked for prayer, you know? And, like, I'm, like, trying to think through, okay, who asked for prayer? I'm, like, I know I'm missing something. God, just, whoever I forgot, just cover them, you know? Like, um, you know, but it's, it's like that non-intentional kind of praying. Like, just cover, you know, I talked to a bunch of people this week. Just, just cover it all, God. Like, um, but God calls us to, to come before him and, and just be still. Uh, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Like, what if that was how you started out with God? Not, not bringing, having to feel like you have to bring a bunch of words, but if you just sat and you knew that he was God, that he wasn't just God up there, but he was God over your life, over your situation, over your strife, over your struggle. Like, that would be an amazing way to start prayer. If you just took that time, took that space, and sat and just be like, God, 
you are God. That means you are in control of all of that and all of this, all of my chaos. That phrase, be still, it literally means to cease striving. Cease striving. That's what we've been talking about. You know, we're striving after the wind. We're chasing the wind. That be still, it means cease striving and know that I am God. Know that I am God over your situation. You know, often we feel like we have to bring a bunch of stuff to God when we approach God. And maybe that's why we don't pray as much, because it kind of freaks us out. Like, oh man, what am I supposed to pray? Or how am I, you know, I got all this stuff to talk. What if you just came and sat and were silent before him? You know, Jesus practiced spending time alone with the Father. Jesus actually needed to spend time alone with the Father in order to do what he did. Like every time Jesus did something significant, it came after he spent significant time alone with his Father. Um, Luke 5, it says this. Uh, it says this in Luke 5:15. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So things are rolling for Jesus. People know he's healing. There's need all around him. There's, there, there's good things going on. Like, you know, people want to hear him preach. People are being healed from their diseases. Like, those are a lot of good things, right? But Jesus often withdraws to pray. Like, even Jesus just takes a break and spends time with his Father. And if Jesus does that, if Jesus needs that, then we shouldn't be so proud to say, I don't really need that. I can do okay without it. Like, Jesus needed that. Jesus needed that time with his Father. Um, Dallas Willard also said this. He said, you know, we live in this fast-paced culture that doesn't really allow for solitude and silence. And he said this, I like this. He said, time can't be found, so it must be made. We must make time in our life for this. He gave this uh, response too to people who kind of would argue against taking time for solitude and silence. He said, um, I don't think, um, a response to giving attention to personal soul care is often, I don't have time for solitude and silence. I have too much to do. The truth is, you don't have time not to practice solitude and silence. No time is more profitably spent than that used to heighten the quality of an intimate walk with God. I think, if we think otherwise, we have been badly educated. The question is, will we take time to do what is necessary for an abundant life, or will we try to get by without it? You know, it's our choice. We can try to get by. We can try to, uh, I had somebody earlier on call me like, hey, Tyler, you're just trying to muster up strength to get through your day. Like, why, what if you just spent time with God and allowed him to give you strength? You know, are we just trying to get by and survive the whirlwind? Or are we willing to take time, the time we need to live an abundant life and spend time in the presence of God? So maybe the thing that God wants you to hear this morning is, hey, slow down. And I hope that's encouraging. Like God might be saying this morning, slow down. Know that I am God. Take time to get to know me. Make more space for quiet in your life. You know, I, when I, uh, it's when I take time, like when I'm quiet, I realize how addicted to noise I am. Right? Like you always got to have headphones on. Anybody else like this? 
Uh, I even play white noise. I'm a grown man, and I still play white noise uh, when I'm studying. You know, not like this white noise, like quality white noise, uh, like you know, Arctic, you know, glaciers and stuff. You know, um, but yeah, we're addicted to noise. What if we just were quiet? What if we just took that time to be quiet before God? The thing is, is like spending time with God. It's not efficient right? It's not like, okay, like on your Google calendar. It's like you can put it on there, but it's not always the most efficient thing uh, to do. It's not, you don't experience the presence of God in, a, in an efficient way, right? Like, I was amazed when I met uh, someone from Africa who just talked about, yeah, you know, uh, one day I took, you know, four hours, eight hours sitting on a hillside just praying. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't know if I could sit for like one hour, you know? Um, but it's just this idea, like, God is there to be experienced, you know, and, and all this stuff, you know, like, he, they, they, his village didn't have all the distractions that we do. They didn't have all the noise. It's difficult to be a Christian in our, our society, amen? amen? Like, it's difficult. There's so many things that are vying for your attention. So are we going to take our time and spend time with God? Because it's only when you're quiet and you rest and you have solitude that you actually find renewal, right? That you actually find strength. It's when you take that time to rest. And I think often we're just overconfident. Oh, I got this. I'm good. I got it figured out. We need to take that time to rest. Uh, the second part of seeing God as weighty is that we listen and then we take our words seriously. Like we seriously engage with God. It's a result of listening, is that we seriously engage with God. Solomon concludes this because of God's holiness. Uh, Therefore, let your words be few. For a, a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. We are so apt to just figure out our lives, right? We just want to figure it out, solve problems. Everybody's got ideas. Um, I used, to, uh, I used to work for a nonprofit, and, and, you know, we had a board. And anybody ever been a part of a board or on, like, board meetings or whatever? It's like, you know, you bring up a problem, and, like, it's just a bunch of talking heads all at once. Like, well, we could do this, or we could do this, or we could do this, you know? And you just want to be like, stop, you know? Um, you know, we are full of ideas, right? We know how to do it. And so, um, but what Solomon is saying is, like, we need to slow down. You know, take, listen to God. Like, what if we said, God, your will be done. What do you want in this situation? And then listen. And maybe he would change our words. Maybe he would change, uh, if we listened and if we put him first, maybe uh, he would change our ideas. Um, so we, uh, we my, Bonnie and I moved to Blaine a couple years ago now. And... Uh, uh, our house, you'll see it if you come to the barbecue this afternoon. We actually have done a lot of work to it. But it's 70 years old. We had to put a ton of work into it. So when we moved two years ago, it was like frantic. Like, oh, we got to get so much done. We got to get it looking like better homes and gardens like tomorrow. And, and, you know, and so Bonnie and I were like, it felt frantic for a long time. And, um, and, and what I really needed to do in that season was to just like listen to my wife um, I find that if, if I, I'm not hearing from God, I need to listen to my wife. So that's kind of uh, what I'm discovering as I go along. 14 years married, so, um, but, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, but, 
Yeah, but so I, I, we didn't really take time to listen. And I got in my head, like, wouldn't it look great if we had, hey, went away, look at that. It's awesome. Um, wouldn't it be great if we had, like, granite tile entryway? And I just got it in my head, like, I wouldn't let it go. And it became the thing, and I would, like, you know, and she's like, I don't think we have time for that. I don't think you should. I'm just, I ordered all this stuff. And, like, you know. And it's like, we don't have time for that. We need to worry about all this stuff. She was right. When you come to my house today, you will not see a granite entryway. All that stuff is sitting in the garage right now. Um, I'll get to it. Maybe this summer, maybe next summer. But if I had listened to my wife, who prioritizes things sometimes way better than I do, I would have known. And so if we don't take time to listen to God, like it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but like he has the better ideas. God has the better ideas, but are we taking time to really listen or, or give him peace? Like if we have an idea and we bring it to God, how much peace do you feel about that idea? I don't think you're going to feel that peace unless you take it to God and let him direct your steps. So we choose our words wisely, and the, the last result of seeing God as weighty, weighty is that it leads us into awe. It leads us into a place of odd, uh, odd, <laughs> place of odd, um, awe. Uh, God is awesome. Um, Paul David Tripp said, every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of him. Like we, all of us, love, uh, are, want to be awed by something. All right, we want to experience awe. That's why there's 17 seasons of uh, American Idol, right? Because we want to be awed by the next singer, like, oh, they're amazing, you know? Um, but we all want that experience of awe. That's, like, that's why we watch sports, right? For like the, the highlights, right? We want to experience awe. And so when we take time for God, we get to just sit and be in awe of him. Um, Solomon says this, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And that word for fear really means awe or awesome. Like to view life in light of how awesome God is. Like if we have a weighty sense of God, if we are constantly in awe of how great God is, like that changes the way I approach life. Um, I don't approach life trying to figure it all out for myself. Um, I approach life, everything is th I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for all that God has given me. And, and because God is in control, and I can trust him. If I have this weighty view of God, like, you know, like, like one thing, CTK Blaine, we need a building, right? And, but if we don't trust that God is going to be a part of this, and we just try to go and do something on our own, like, we're missing it, Right? Like, let's wait. Somebody said, follow the breadcrumbs, right? You got to, like, trust God and follow the breadcrumbs. What doors are God, is God going to open? You know, the Apostle Paul, he lived this crazy, amazing life for God. But I want to share something that he said in Philippians. He said this, Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Everything Paul does is because Christ is so valuable. He has this weighty view of Jesus. Like, just to know you is worth more than anything else I could do. 
any other thing I could have. Like, that I'm not going to be satisfied unless I know you. Everything else is garbage. All my accomplishments, I mean, he didn't have a lot of wealth, right? So he's counting, like, his accomplishments, his importance. Like, none of that matters. Like, it's all about knowing God. Because, as Paul knows, and for us, ultimately, it's only the presence of God that will satisfy us. We all have some deep longing for awe, some deep longing for satisfaction that we can't find, we're going back to it, money. We can't find it in money. You know, we can only find it in the presence of God. Real quickly, we're going to look at what Solomon says about money, because I don't want to run out of time, but um, he says, you know, compare this weight of God, the satisfaction that we experience with God, with what we get when we pursue money. He says, he who loves money will not not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Um, You know, the person who seeks after money is never satisfied. When that is the goal, it's always fleeting. And he lays out um, some things that happen when we make money that pursuit. When money is weighty, um, this happens. We always want more. When, when, when money is the focus, we always want more. We always have people that want to take from us. This is, you can look up the verses, too, if you want. Uh, we always worry more about losing what we have. He talks about, you know, how, like, a, a laborer, like, when he has a full day, he goes to bed and sleeps. When you have more money, you have more to worry about. You're up at night. You're anxious. And then he also says we're also more prone to greed. And so loving money is like eating potato chips, okay? It's like, you know, you you never eat just one potato chip, right? Anybody with me? Who grew up on Pringles? Anybody grew up on Pringles? Yeah. You don't eat one. You eat the whole thing, right? But it's like that, like you, you just, I don't know if that's MSG or what, but you just keep eating and eating. You, you can't put it down, and that's kind of what money is. Like you can't, like if you make that the focus, there's no end to that pursuit. It will take over your life. He says that riches are kept by the owner to his hurt. Like you ever eat a bag of potato chips and you're just like, oh, what was I thinking, right? I don't do that often, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but we're never satisfied. Um, you know, loving money keeps us at a distance from people because, you know, if that's the focus, then we're afraid that people will, will take from us. And we don't want that, you know, if, if money is what we think about. Um, if money is what we think about, the more we have, the more we have to think about, the more distractions we have. It's hard to experience the presence of God when we're always having to worry about all these different things. And then the end result, the fruit of that love of money is greed. And I don't think any of us want to be called like a greedy person, right? None of us want to be a greedy person. But as we conclude, the band can can come on up. If we have a weighty view of God, then we'll find satisfaction in his presence. We will seek satisfaction in his presence, not in money that never ends or anything else that you want to put in there. Like, if we have a weighty view of God, the only place that we can satisfy that is in his presence. I want to go to the last verse of chapter 5. I think it's 520. Solomon says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot, accept his lot and rejoice in toil, this is the gift of God. I love this last line. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Man, I want that. I want to be so occupied 
with the joy of God that I'm not really worried about the rest of it. Is anybody with me on that? Like, for he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Like, there's so much joy to be had. If we just spend that time, we get to know this God of the universe. And he gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. But when we make him the priority, those, we see those gifts as gifts. You know, whether it's wealth, whether it's possessions, whether it's power. Like, God gives things as gifts to his children. We can accept whatever position we're in because our primary need is satisfied. We are satisfied in him. And so my hope for you is that you get to experience the presence of God and experience joy. Get caught up in joy. Have a life filled with joy that other people ask, man, what, you know, what's going on? Like, why are you so satisfied? Why are you so content? What, you know, what's the secret, right? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, like they can see your life is consumed with joy. You know, but it's often when we're super busy and when we're, when we're frantic that we, we don't see that. You know, God wants our eyes up here and we're just like trying to, you know, step over landmines down here, you know. And so my encouragement to you this week is to turn your eyes up here. And I'm not like a big, I have homework for you guy, but, but my homework for you is just to plan a time right now where you can spend some time in solitude with God. You know, whether that is, it's beautiful outside if you didn't notice, whether that is just out in nature somewhere, where you don't go with headphones, you just go to hear from God. Maybe you bring your Bible and you just spend time like, God, here I am, like, speak to me. Um, whether that is getting like an hour in the morning in your room by yourself, um, where if you have kids running around, maybe you turn up the music just to like, you know, white noise it out. Um, but maybe you just spend time, have your Bible and have a pen and just like sit before God, not, not as some sort of duty, but just because you want to get to know God. Like read the Bible, not because like, oh, I need some, some little nugget to help me get through the day, but read the Bible saying, God, who are you? Jesus, who are you? I want to know you. Like if, if we step towards God, he runs towards us. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that God runs towards us when we take a step. So my encouragement to you is to practice that time. Uh, uh, take time of silence. Take time alone just to be with God. So that we can experience that joy of the Lord. Like that joy goes deeper than, than temporary happiness. Joy goes deeper than uh, pleasure. It's not contingent on circumstances, whatever you're going on. The joy of the Lord stands above it all. And so that's my prayer is that we would be a church that we could experience the joy of the Lord. Um, not just once in our lifetime, but every day, every week, we come and experience the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we just come before you this morning. And God, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at. Lord, you know where each person in this room is at. You know the emotions that they walked in with. Um, you know the struggle that they walked in with. You know the things that they have against you that they walked in with. Like the thing that they're holding up and asking why. And Jesus, I pray that you would meet all of us in that space. 
that you would pull us out of our daily life, our daily rhythm, just to spend time with you, and that as we take a step forward, that you would meet us. I pray in faith, God, that you would meet us as we take a step forward. Lord, that it wouldn't just feel, um, feel like a duty, uh, feel like a work or, or something that we dread, but something that we would enjoy, that we would just teach us to enjoy the presence of God. Lord, teach us to enjoy uh, time with you. That, that that wouldn't be an extra, but that would be the thing that we look forward to most of all. That God, you would truly be our refuge. You would truly be our strength. That like Jesus, we couldn't do anything apart from being connected to you. So Lord, give us that hunger. Lord, it starts with our desires, God. If we struggle with that, change our desires, God. Change our desires so that they're not focused inward, but they're focused upward. God, would you change us, God, so that we could experience the joy that you promised, Lord. Sometimes it feels so far away. Sometimes the mountains feel so big. And Lord, I just pray that whatever the mountain is, whatever the, the, the trouble is, God, that you would cut through that and speak right to us this morning, God. Meet us, Father. Meet us today, meet us tomorrow, meet us the day after that. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.